All right, I am here with Shannon Alberts from Libkey, Security Libkey up in Appleton, Wisconsin. Thank you so much, Shannon, for being a guest on the Gutter Grind and excited to kind of share your story and some of your success that you've had in the gutter guard, gutter protection industry. So thank you. Thanks. It's a pleasure to, pleasure to meet you and, and talk a little bit. Yeah, so I've heard a little bit about your, your story, and it's a very interesting one. You know, you, you kind of came up through the ranks of the business in sales, and um, apparently an opportunity arose during your, your sales career to purchase the business you were working at. Is that correct? Yeah, I actually started as an installer for Guttertop. That's right. So taking it back even further, you started out installing gutter guard, gutter topper in particular yep. um, for the company you're working at now. Yep. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your that whole evolution and how you went from being an installer to a salesperson and now owning a flourishing business? Yeah, uh, I was working in retail at the time and I met the that at that time, the owner. And he said, oh, you should come. You should come work for me. And I kind of blew it off a little bit and then ended up circling back almost a full year later. Uh, I got really tired of retail and I thought I, I really enjoyed working with my hands. So, um, and then being a gutter topper installer, one of the alluring things for me was working by myself because mm. at the time we were running one man gutter topper installing crews. So I got to spend all day outside working with my hands with nobody breathing down my neck. But, you know, the deadlines were my deadlines. It was pretty awesome. Um, so I did that for a couple of years, but then I slowly started to transition into also writing estimates. So then I moved into a sales role. So a few days a week, I would install a few days a week, I would sell. And it was really, it was really cool for me. And for anybody who's starting out, I would suggest this model because it's really good for the client experience because they meet me. I write them a quote. I show back up. I install the product. They pay me. It's a, like a one-stop deal or it's a one-man interaction. Sure. So there's customers, there's hundreds of customers in, uh, in the Green Bay market that know our product and our company only through an interaction with me. So, so that was fun. Uh, and then I started to tr transition into estimating and then I got too busy on the estimating side. So I, I did a full switch. I trained my replacement. So he installed it the way I wanted him to. Mm -hmm. And then after that, the company also did, the company was primarily installing roofing. So I, I started to write roofing estimates, uh, became the top sales rep in around 2008. Um, and then in 2013, coming out of a, a harsh winter, uh, the company was going to go bankrupt. Wow. And none of the employees knew about it. And all of a sudden it kind of came out of nowhere. And then me and a few employees formed a buying group. And we bought the company and that was in 2013. So almost 10 years ago. Wow. And then, and then every subsequent year after that, um, one of the, one of the owners at the time would either retire or we'd buy them out. Um, and then in 2017, I was last man standing. And then it's kind of been uphill from there also. So we, we bought some land. We built a really large uh, headquarters here. Yeah, I've heard about it. In, in 2013, the company was doing about $3 million in revenue. And uh, this year, we're on track for about $33 million. Wow. That's so we, 
we 11 X the business in nine years. So yeah, that's incredible. And in a market, you know, Appleton, Wisconsin, not the largest market in the country by any stretch. It's not. I mean, we cover Appleton, but most people recognize Green Bay. Sure. Some people, some people have heard of Oshkosh. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that whole Northeast Wisconsin. I don't even know if we have a million people here. I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not a huge market, but uh, it, it's a very loyal customer base, which is awesome because the company, even though I've been here for 20 years, the company was founded um, 90 years ago. Wow. So it's been, so the company's uh, was first established in 1934. Incredible. So there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people in this market that look at us as the experts, which is from a marketing perspective is gold. And that's part of the reason I was interested in buying it because I was, I was on the front lines writing quotes, meeting people who thought highly of the company before I even got out of my truck. Right. So from a marketing perspective, it's, that's really yeah. cheating. The, you power, know, I, the power of brand, you know, oh. a local brand and having that established. So there's a lot I want to talk about there because the growth trajectory is just incredible in, in a short period of time. And, you know, a company that was a certain size for such a long period of time, you're talking decades and decades, and then all of a sudden, you know, just massive growth there. But before we get into that, I, I can definitely relate to sitting in all the different chairs and having those interactions, um, you know, whether it be in the gutter business or replacement window business, bath business, um, you know, generating the lead at the home show or knocking on someone's front door and then, you know, being the person that, you know, ran that appointment, sold the project, yep. did the remeasure, you know, the technical measure aspect of it. And, yep. um, you know, not so much on the install side of things for me, but, you know, having my, uh, you know, my foot in, in every step of, of the way was, was really instrumental in, in growth. And I think it's essential, you know, people shy away from what maybe it's not their strength zone. And I yeah. think that they end up by shying away, they don't have a full, complete understanding of all aspects of the business, which I'm sure you can, can relate, you know, how important that is to growing a business. Has that been a key factor in the growth? Yeah, I was, we were thrust into it. So in 2013, when we became owners, we needed a president, we needed a director of operations, we needed a director of sales and marketing, which was the role I stepped into. So all of a sudden, now I'm in charge of all the sales and all the marketing uh, with no professional training of any of it. Um, So I quickly started to focus on the marketing aspect because again, being on the front lines, I knew the lead sources that we were, that we were utilizing or that the previous company was utilizing. I knew the ones that were garbage and I knew the ones that just hit. So uh, my first, my first year of having control of the entire marketing plan, I took like a shotgun approach and I said, I'm going to spend a little bit of money everywhere. And then I really focused on data. And I was like, um, we're going we're gonna to log every lead. We're going to log every lead source. We're going to log every dollar spent. We're going to log every dollar earned from that lead source. And then after a couple of years of doing that, it became glaringly obvious. We need to double down on this source and we just need to say goodbye to this source. And it's like, because they say in marketing, half of your, half of your marketing budget is wasted. You just don't know what half. Correct. I had heard that before and I thought, I'll be damned if I'm not going to figure out which half. Right. Yeah. And that's, 
Yeah, when you're playing with mom's money, you know, but it's yep. house money. You, it took a couple of years. It took a couple of years, but we 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 really honed in on on a few sweet spots. And then I did that for a few years, and then we start the phone would ring more. So then we needed more sales reps. So then I had to be a sales manager. And then it got to the point where being a sales manager and a say and a, the director of marketing was too many hats. So then I had to hire and train some sales or promote some sales managers. So then we got to hire a bigger team. So, I mean, we had, we had three sales reps in 2013. I was one of them. Now we have 22. Wow. It just grew, you know, adding a few every year. Um, and then the last piece, when I transitioned to president in 2017, well, I knew that was going to happen in 17. So in 2017, no, it was, yeah, 2017, I hired a trained uh, director of marketing, somebody that I knew that worked at an agency that I thought was really sharp. And I, uh, I stole her from that agency and uh, she really then ran with it for the next few years, which freed me up. The only thing I had to do was show up and shoot a commercial once in a while or shoot a radio spot once in a while or approve an ad maybe. But she really, she really ran with it. Um, so that really then allowed me for the last, for the next three years to really focus on being the president and like the CEO. Um, and then the last couple of years, I really focused on developing a leadership group. So I really started to empower and lift and train my director of operations, my director of sales and marketing, uh, my director of finance. And I hired a VP just so that I could step away from the business and not have it all rely on me. And with me stepping back, the company went from 22 to 28 million with me having very little involvement, which yeah. was really cool. Yeah, it's amazing when that happens because yeah. none of us are as smart as all of us, right? And so sometimes we can be a speed bump in our own business yep. you know, that impedes growth in certain areas. Yep. So that's, that's awesome. I'm a big fan of a bunch of different people, but Simon Sinek is one of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, so everything that comes out of his mouth, I think is gold. And uh, you know, he really teaches empowering um, and uh, elevating and delegating and a lot of good leadership principles. So for me, it, it was, it was easy to, well, it wasn't, it was hard to let go of some of the things, but when you have the right people and you encourage them and you reward them, they start to treat it like their own. So yeah, the, the buy-in is there when, when, you know, when, when they're their ideas and they have some autonomy, you know, they really take charge, which is great to see. I think in, in the construction industry, um, and it's probably not unique to the construction industry at all, but I think it's especially in the construction industry, the owner, the guy who founded the business, the guy who poured all of his blood and sweat into it, keeps such a tight hold on it because it's so important. And it's the, it's the slow release of that. And the, the building up really allows for growth. But for so many, and I'm friends with so many small business owners that are in construction and they still do a lot. And I'm like, if you want to keep doing that, that's great. But if you want to have freedom, if you want to golf every day, if you want to travel, right? If the, I don't have a, a lot of responsibilities in the business. One of them is culture. So when I'm in the office, my door's open. I'm talking to employees. I'm, I'm being a counselor. I'm being a coach. Uh, yeah. And then 
I'm also in charge of, you know, writing the budget, analyzing the numbers periodically, knocking down big walls, yeah. anything, anything legal that comes up, I, I have to deal with that. Well, that's great, though. I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I think a lot of people think that you want that freedom simply because, um, you know, you want to vacation or you want to golf. But the truth of the matter is, is once we've had the opportunity to do that for a period of time, right, then, you know, we're going to want to get back into business again. <laughs> and a lot, yeah. of, you know, and you're going to want to grow the business. So I think, you know, the, the real op opportunity is to be able to do what you want, the freedom, you know, to step away and uh, focus on growth. I discovered that I take a lot of uh, pleasure and pride in seeing somebody on my team be successful. And I think as an owner, and if anybody's listening that is wearing a whole bunch of hats, I would encourage you to hand people some of those hats because when they win, it's a it fills up a different bucket inside you. Right. It's great to say I did that, but it's also great to say I helped that person do that. Right. You know, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, I think so. So I'm curious, how much of the business is roofing? How much of it is gutters and gutter protection and, and any other products you might be carrying? Our our gutter protection makes up about 10 percent of our total revenue. OK, so, so a back, three yep. million. Yeah, uh, when you uh, you asked me this earlier when we were speaking, uh, it gave me some time to actually look it up. Hmm. And if you if you track all of our growth, the roofing and the gutters uh, grew equally. Hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. So it was about ten percent ten years ago, and it's about ten percent now, which means we went from doing three hundred thousand in gutter topper, um, which was a lot back then, to close to three million now. Right. Yeah, which is awesome. That is awesome. Let me ask you this, because I'm curious, you were talking earlier about how you were doing A-B testing, as they would call it in marketing, um, and just kind of looking at your data and saying, you know, these sources are performing, these sources aren't performing, and starting to get dialed in with it. What sources are working for you or have worked for you during that growth trajectory? with respect to gutter protection, yeah. home improvement in general. Yeah, uh, want to back up just a touch, finding out who your customers are was really important to us because I used to just think everybody's our customer. Like we wanna get in front of everybody all the time, but that's not, that's not true for, for a lot of businesses, you know? Right. So finding out where, where the people who actually bought from us found us was important. We were spending a lot of money in the yellow pages. Um, we we killed that. And I remember the day thinking, we're not going to be in the yellow pages. Like, that's insane. People still call us from the yellow pages. But we found out that the people who call us from the yellow pages don't buy from us. Wow. And then we got to the point where we were asking people who called from the yellow pages, did you, did you go to the yellow pages to find our number? Or did you go to the yellow pages to find a contractor? Right. The people who went to the yellow pages to find a contractor didn't hire us. Got so it. then it was just a matter of get our name in front of people, right? Make our, make our phone number very uh, noticeable. So that was one. Um, coupon books. Like we were in all those little coupon books that you get in the mail that are free that you can, you know, it's carpet cleaners and pizza and sure. all this stuff. 
And we were in there, but we were in there with two or three other roofers or two or three other gutter companies. And we really tracked it. And we found out that the people who are coupon shopping don't buy from us. So we killed that. Uh, we found that the people who listen to classic rock buy from us. The people who listen to Christian radio buy from us. The people who watch th that sit at home and watch the local news buy from us. So we, we started to really find the spots that just had a really high conversion rate. And that actually helped see the kind of customer that, that buys from us, right? They're, they may be a little bit older. Um, they have a little bit extra income. We started to then double down on those sources. We found the radio stations that hit. We found the TV networks and the TV shows that hit. And then we just moved all the dollars to that. And the phone just lit up. So it was more about characteristics of the consumer and not yeah. geography. Is that correct? Correct. We, we operate out of one office and we go about an hour in every direction. Uh, we call it our DMA. I think that's called digital marketing area or direct marketing area. Mm -hmm. So like all the TV networks hit that area, right? Like we're in Wisconsin, so we don't get upper Michigan. We don't get over towards Minneapolis and we don't go down by Madison and Milwaukee. But if you're, so if you're in that area, you get all of our radio stations, you get all of our TV networks. So that's kind of how far we travel. So, so then it's just a matter of how do we get in the eyes and ears of those people? So it wasn't necessarily, you know, we're going to skip this zip code or we're going to skip that zip code. It was more getting into the habits and the characteristics of your consumer. Yeah, but I have a good friend in, uh, who's got a, a large business in Atlanta and he, he has to look at it differently. There are zip codes they don't service. Sure. Yeah, they, actually, they actually drive through those zip codes to other zip codes that they do service. Sure. Yeah. And credit's a major factor in some markets. Um, you know, certain areas have, you know, just higher home values, different things of that nature that you have to pay attention to. So right. you got to get but, that. I mean, if, if we were selling pizzas, you know, it might be the opposite, sure. right? But we're not. We're selling high-end uh, home improvement. And so you had mentioned to me during kind of some correspondence leading up to this that one aspect that contributed to your growth was creativity in your market. Yes. Not just not just A-B testing, because that's kind of scientific, right? There's nothing creative about getting your consumer, your ideal target identified. That's very scientific. Now, the other side of the coin is not scientific at all. That's creativity. Uh, yeah. Something that I, I kind of uh, have always thrived in that area and enjoyed that area. So I'm, yeah. I'm eager to learn what, what you can tell me about some of the creative things you've done with marketing. Well, for anybody else that's interested, um, our website is 920roofing, 920roofing.com. You can also go to our YouTube page. We put all of our public, all of our advertisements are on there. Uh, there's a bunch that stand out. Um, I just remember early on shooting commercials where I'm standing in front of a house or I'm standing in front of a green screen and I'm like, I'm Shannon with Security Libke Roofing. And we've been around a long time and you can trust us and give us a call for a free estimate. That's noise, you know, and plus a lot of my competitors are doing that. Sure. 
So I thought we need to get in people's brains. We need to make them laugh or think or do something. So once we started to get creative with our advertising, it was, there's people who still remember commercials that we aired eight years ago that we haven't aired since. They're like, I loved that commercial you did. They remember it. So I'm like, that's what we need to do. Nobody remembers me standing there going, I'm Shannon. They remember the crazy stuff, right? Like we had a, we had an advertiser, a local advertiser that's, or a local competitor that started advertising on TV and he's doing that. And then he's like, and we'll save you 50% off labor if you call today. Um, so I did a commercial where I'm just being overly obnoxious and I'm just, you know, call now, be one of the next seven and a half callers and we'll save you 90%, blah, blah, you know? And then, so it was like totally over the top. And then at the end of the commercial, I'm like, that's not us. That's, you know, we're straightforward, right? So that was fun. And people remembered that. So being, and then people would say, oh, that was a great commercial. Uh, did you, who did you hire to do that? And I'm like, that came right out of my brain, right? So it was pretty neat. I think it's cool that you kind of spoke to just your identity and who you are and just kind of push that through your marketing message. And it resonates with the right audience, you know, that goes back to just finding the right consumer. One of the other things that you mentioned to me about your unique characteristics as a company, what's helped you grow was, you know, a, a disciplined sales process. Oh, hold on one second. All right. I remember we shot some ads for radio, which I don't think you'll be able to see online. Um, but they got me to sing. <laughs> so I'm, I'm shooting radio ads where I sing the itsy bitsy spider, uh, ran up the water spout. And then I go, unless your gutters are clogged, then where's he going to go? And it was so funny where people were like, Hey, that's the itsy bitsy spider guy. Uh, we did, uh, and then after that, the next year we sang, it's raining, it's pouring. Right. Um, and we transitioned that into Gutter Topper. Uh, we did a Christmas one. That uh, So it was just thinking outside of the box, being a little uncomfortable, but having people really remember it. It's funny. I just did a, a piece uh, called It's Raining, It's Pouring, Your Gutters Need Restoring. And oh. we're, we're looking to see how well that goes. So. But, um, well, great. Thanks for sharing that. And you'd mentioned that the sales process, the systematic approach to it, you know, a disciplined approach to it. Can you tell us about what some of those disciplines are in the sales process? Yes. Um, Like I said, we had three sales reps. Then we had four. Then we had five. And then I realized they didn't have a manager. They were all in their own direction. They all had their own way that they sold. And I realized that that's not, that's not the, the recipe, right. We wanted it to be really consistent. I wanted, I wanted somebody to be able to call us, get an experience and have it be, you know, 90% the same. Right. I mean, an an individual sales rep should have their personality obviously allowed to, to be there but I want to make sure that they're doing it 90% the way we do it. I found a system that I, that I knew a couple of my other contractor friends from around the country were using that they, and they found success. So we employed that and it was, uh, it was very strategic. You know, it's 10 steps. Every, you know, you follow the whole thing perfectly. 
And one of the owners at the time, when I, when I had a few owners, one of the owners was really uncomfortable with that process and he refused to do it. And he said, you can't make me because I'm an owner. <laughs> we, we bought him out three months later and we were like, you can't, you can't hold up this process. And I can't have five or six reps that I'm trying to make do it a certain way and then have them watch you go rogue. Right. So, so we bought them out. Um, and then after that, we added a sales manager. We actually, our first sales manager was one of our best sales reps. And he was the best one because he knew the process. He knew all the steps. He was an expert at what we had been teaching him. And I said, you're so good at this. I'm going to take you out of the house and I'm going to have you just teach these six, seven, eight reps how to do what you did. And then from there, it just, you know, yeah. our, all of our sales managers are former sales reps and they became a manager by being not having the most sales, but by being an expert at our system. So once we added that, it was a, it was a, it was a game changer. So yeah, well, I think you started the trend with the whole idea that there's there's some non-negotiables, right? I mean, when, yes. you, when you have discipline in, in any process yeah. and you're willing to go to the extent of buying an owner out to stay committed to that discipline, you know, yeah. the only thing that can result from that is a systematic approach. Yep. So I re really commend you for having those non-negotiables and, and being disciplined in the process. And obviously the fruits uh, yeah. have, have grown as a result. But Plus, we knew we, we knew we were on a growth trajectory, and I knew that we're going to be adding sales reps periodically, and having a system makes training much better, rather than saying, hey, because we used to add a sales rep, have them do a couple ride-alongs for a couple weeks, right, hang out with the reps, but they do a ride-along with one rep who does it one way, they do another ride-along with another rep who does it another way, and then another rep, and then they have to somehow figure out how they're going to do it. Right. I'm going to take a little of this guy and a little of this guy and a little of this lady. And now they're like, now we sit down and we're like, this is what you do. And if you go and if you, and if you shadow any one of our reps, it all looks the same. Once we did that, it made onboarding easier. And now is there ongoing training to keep that process in place? Because some companies do a good job of what you're talking about, that initial onboard training, they expose them to the 10 steps, they, you know, they do all of that. But then as time goes on, you see people as, migrating. As time goes on, yeah. they get in the ditch. That's right. They start doing it their own way. What do you do to prevent that? Uh, there's two, uh, for, so for our system, there's two mandatory 90-minute trainings every week. They do one Monday mornings, and then they do one Thursday afternoons. That's uh, led by the sales managers. And the topic of those meetings is based on what the sales managers are hearing in the field as to why we're not selling. So for example, if, if the reasons we're not closing is because there's a lot of people getting a price objection, then they'll do a 90 minute training on what part of our process really helps overcome the price objection? Or if the objection is, well, I need to think about it some more. Perfect. We'll do a 90 minute training Thursday afternoon on how you address the client needing to think about it. And then once you, once you get into that, it keeps the whole team unified because you do it as a group and uh, everybody's rowing in the same direction. 
Then there's also uh, the sales managers will do ride-alongs with reps that hear three no's in a row. So a sales rep knows that if they run three leads and they, and they miss all three, their next lead will have a sales manager with them. And the sales manager doesn't talk, just observes. And then it's just feedback, feedback, feedback. And then continued training if necessary. Wow, that's great. I, I, I'm glad I asked about the maintenance and how you keep the, that discipline in place because it sounds like you have a great protocol for that. Yeah, it's, it's proven to be really successful. We added, we had 14 reps this time last year and we have 22 now. So for the first time ever, we added eight reps in one year. And I think, I think all but three or four of them will hit a million dollars. Will will exceed a million dollars in sales this year. That's an incredible income for them. Absolutely. So having so many reps to keep busy, you have to have a number of lead sources out there. And I know you've kind of honed in on some of them. What are some of the top lead sources today for your company? TV. Well, obviously the top for us having, having the history that we have is uh, brand recognition, which is really hard to pinpoint what did it, which is so annoying. Um, but brand recognition or um, repeat customers, referrals, those are, those are the top ones. And those are the free ones. So those are annoying because I, I can't learn anything from those. Uh, the, the ones we pay for that return the best, uh, there's three and they're, they're kind of traditional. It's more the creative component that makes them better than just traditional, but it's TV, radio, and digital, uh, you know, like pay-per-click, sure. Google AdWords, uh, YouTube pre-roll, stuff like that. So within that, scope of of lead generation you know traditional advertising what have you seen change with respect to tv especially lately now that you know there's some streaming services and the game seems to be changing i know um that's scary because it's new i remember when we when one of our first reps it was uh it was a our fox affiliate in town they were the first one to come to us with streaming options for, you know, Hulu, you know, Roku, um, you know, Fire Stick, all the, st- or all the, the, the native apps that you get on smart TVs now, because I don't even think you can buy a TV now that doesn't have yeah. all that stuff on it. Right. Uh, so that's scary. Um, but having a good relationship with those advertisers, they helped teach us how to like, how to get our foot in, in that market or in that um, space. Got it. So, but yeah, it's different, you know, and then radio, right? So we're still on, we're still on four different radio stations in town. Um, but now you have to think about uh, Spotify and you have to think about Pandora. Right. Right. Yeah. The sure. cool thing about those, same with the TV or same with the, uh, the digital streaming you can get real sharp with your demographic. Like I can, I can keep my ads out of the heads of 18 year olds and I can put them right into the 40 year olds. 
Yeah. So there's definitely advantages there. And, you know, good news is, is you have a, a history of, of a B testing and, and throwing out what doesn't work and doubling down on what does. So yeah. I'm sure you'll navigate through it, you know, yeah. very, very well. Uh, it, is there anything particular that performs well for gutter protection? Is it the same for roofing and, and, and any other products? That's a good question. Um, I thought about that. I don't think we necessarily, I, I would say no. I think the answer is no. So it's pretty, you know, if it works for roofing, it works for gutter protection. It's really kind of staying true to who you are as a company, what your message is, your your unique selling proposition as, as an organization overall. Yeah, because what we know to be true is that it's the same kind of customer. Um, we're not a bargain. We're not affordable roofing. You know, we're, we're, we're roofing for people who value quality, who are going to live in their home for a while, who don't, who want great service. If something goes wrong, they know it's going to be professionally done and they don't have to get nervous about a contractor being at their house. Those same people also don't want to get on a ladder and clean their gutters. One of the differences is every house has a roof. Not every house needs gutter protection. Sure. So once you find those markets, we do one thing we do differently with gutter topper than we do with roofing is we do more targeted ads and canvassing. Um, just because if you find yourself in a wooded neighborhood, that's different, right? That's a gold mine. Absolutely. So how, how do you mine that? We do it with canvassing. We do it with creative yard signs. We do it with direct direct mail, postcards, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I love post-it style sticky notes that you leave behind. They, they outperform door hangers and, you know, in a, in a targeted neighborhood like that, they can really do well. Yeah. So let me, let me turn to online reviews and how that might affect, you know, performance of ads these days. I work with companies all over the country. Some of them have multiple office locations. And what they tell me is if they have the exact same campaign, side by side and one office location has higher reviews than another office location, you know, the one with better reviews is performing better. Do you, have you seen how that's impacting marketing, advertising, and even sales in the home? I can't speak to that as I only have one location. Um, but I know that we, we promote reviews. Uh, we get in front of our online reviews with a real quick survey at the conclusion of a job that just says how, how was your satisfaction? You know, happy face, smiley, or happy face, frowny face. Hit the happy face, takes you right to Facebook, Google, whatever. Mm -hmm. it, um, if it's a sad face, it takes you right to a form fill, private to us, lets us get in front of it. Because sometimes it's an issue we didn't even know existed. Right. So uh, we figured that out when we would start to get like a Google review that was bad. And we, we were like, I, we had no idea. They didn't, they didn't tell us that we, that, that we did a crappy job cleaning up after the job. They didn't tell us, right? So it gives, us a, it gives them an opportunity before they light us up online to, to let us know so we can make it right. But again, I don't do a lot at the business, but anytime anybody on any platform leaves a review, I see it first. That does a few things. It keeps me plugged in where I need to be. And it also lets my team know that they better be making sure that the customer experience is on point. 
because I'll get a I'll get an email that says Julie left a Google review one star. You know they never communicated with me very well. I will I'll go right to my team and I'll be like, what's wrong here, right? Sure. And then we get back to we get back to Julie and we're like, hey, we're sorry. This is what happened. We thought we did. We you know we left a voicemail. Blah blah whatever whatever. Would you mind please changing your review because it's really important for us. And almost all the time they do. Yeah. It's amazing how you can turn that frown upside down if, if yep. you, you know, make the effort and, and yep. communicate and, and get back and right the wrong, whatever it may have been. I, I go to a lot of conferences and seminars and I, some, you know, you, you go to a breakout or a session and a lot of times it's like, oh, okay, this was kind of helpful. There's been some really helpful ones. And one of the ones I, one of the ones I really remember taking a lot out of was it was at the, it was at the International Roofing Expo. Um, and one of the breakouts was how to handle online reviews. And they taught me so much about how, how to address negative online reviews. So it's been really good. Um, so anytime there's a negative review, I respond to it as the owner. So it, it allows me to let, because that's the window to the public, right? Because they can see all of that. So for them to see that and see that the owner took care um, in a in a negative experience, that that even though there was a negative experience, we made it right or I addressed it, and it gives them, you know, not every job is going to be flawless. Sure. And I think most people know that, but they know that if hey if if it's bad on my job, they're going to do everything they can to make it right. And I think it really helps take a negative review and make it a positive one. Yeah. And they, plus, and they, they want to know from the top down, down, you know, from the top down, this is being handled. Yeah. They're not de dealing with someone at an entry level and that this is getting the attention it deserves. Yeah. With Google's algorithm too. If you have 500 reviews and they're all five star, they see that as not as legitimate. So getting a few bad reviews isn't death. It's actually, it, it's an opportunity. Right. Legitimacy. Correct. Absolutely. So, well, I want to thank you for taking the time and, and uh, you know, we're done all these golden nuggets. Not yet. I want to end with uh, a couple more, but uh, you know, it, when talking about the online reviews and the customer experience, that's a big buzzword. In, the, in this day and age. So what are you doing differently with respect to communication, with respect to quality control to keep that customer experience at a high level? Because you mentioned that's one of the things that separates you from everybody else. In your market. Great, great question. So when I think of the, when the growth trajectory that we've had, you know, marketing, sales, then all of a sudden, I remember the year we went from 6 million to 9 million which was when we implemented that sales process, I added a sales manager, we became very strategic. We actually sold 10 or 12 million that year. We were burying production. Hmm. That was when we really decided, now we need to move the focus to the back end because we're doing all these roofs, but we're being sloppy. So it's at that point when I'm like, we need to start adding layers to this. I can't have my operations manager who's scheduling the jobs and ordering the materials, also calling every customer and all, and also doing follow-up. And so then we started to add project managers and quality control managers. And now the scheduler is one position in itself, right? So now there's all these layers. We've added 
a bunch of overhead, <laughs> but you have to. Sure. And every person who touches that job knows what their role is in the customer. We call it the customer journey. So we have about a hundred points that are posted on our building that from the initial phone call to the time their bill is paid, actually from the time the job is closed, a hundred points and wow. everybody, everybody in this building and everybody out in the field knows which of those hundred points they play a role in. So when something goes wrong and a customer says, well, you dropped off the dumpster, but didn't tell us. And we came home to find a dumpster in our driveway. I know exactly whose job it is to call the customer and tell them the dumpster's coming. Like that's one person. Sure. So once you build that accountability, like we have an org chart, but it's, it's, we call it an accountability chart. And it just shows everybody who's accountable for what people think org chart, like this person's my boss. We say accountability chart. Now it shows you who your boss is, but more importantly, it shows you what you're accountable for. Your boss, the box above you, their job is just to make sure you did, you're doing the things in your box. It's really great. We actually follow, we actually follow EOS. Which I is can a, tell. Are you familiar? <laughs> oh, I'm very familiar. And, and yeah. for those of you listening, you know, EOS is the entrepreneur's operating system. It's a blueprint on how to run your small business. Traction is the book that outlines EOS and kind of lays it out. I would strongly recommend reading that book, uh, not just once, but it's a book to be studied over and over again. Um, for me, for me, that was the last big piece, right? So it's marketing, then sales, then production, then clean customer journey. Then it's, okay, I think we're really close to having the puzzle perfectly put together. EOS was the, the final layer for me, which also allowed me to then back up and start to empower, right? Yeah. So, so did you implement it your EOS yourself or? Yeah. Uh, we, we, we did for about six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then I have a really good friend that owns a roofing company, a large roofing company in Tampa Bay in Naples. Mm-hmm. And um, I visited his office just to see his operation. And to see how clean it ran. And, and he was just like this. Right. And I was like, all right, let's, let, let's, I said, I said, we're doing that. He's like, oh, did you hire somebody? I'm like, no, we're doing it. He's like, you're not doing it then. <laughs> yeah, right. And then we actually hired his guy from Tampa oh, to wow. do it. So his guy flies up uh, once a quarter and we do our, you know, quarterly, blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. Uh, it's been really good. It, it also then allows me to know my role because my team doesn't like it when I step on every toe and tinker sure. with everything, right? So I let them do it. And then once a week, there's a meeting with me and my whole leadership team. And we cover everything that's an issue that I need to be involved in. So it's, it's really done a lot for my sanity. Right. Yeah. You know, in that regard, I think success leaves clues. You, you saw success in your friend's organization. And, you know, you decided to take those clues and, and, and investigate. And obviously that's flourished for you. But failure leaves a lot of clues, too. And that's usually what I like to end on, because in this day and age, I think there's just so much on social media about, you know, I, I want to resemble that person. And we're focused on, 
you know, the assets they have. I want to have a $33 million business. I want to have these toys and I want to have this freedom, but we forget to focus on the habits that got those people there and failures that they had to overcome. So in that vein, what can you tell us about, you know, maybe your biggest struggle in getting to where you are today, uh, pitfall that you'd like others to avoid? I didn't see that question on the list. <laughs> yeah, I always um, like to get a real spontaneous answer out of this one. Don't want to give too much time. I'm, I'm going to tell you what it is. And um, I'm, I'm what you'd call a quick start. So I move fast. I make fast decisions. And I learned that that disrupts a lot of things. It took me, it took me slowing down and listening to the people around me to, to, to learn to trust them and to not just force my way into every situation because I'm the boss and realize that they're all bosses too. Right. So let them use their ideas, right? I learned to slow down in meetings. I used to, when we first started having really organized meetings, I did 90% of the talking. And then I saw a Simon Sinek video that said, speak last. He said, speak last. <laughs> well, he said, when you're in a meeting and you say, hey, we have a problem, this is my idea. What do you think? Most people are gonna say, yeah, I like your idea. If you say, this is the problem, what do you think we should do about it? And you listen to everybody else in the room, you build them up. They feel like they were heard. And then if the, if the, if the answer isn't obvious, then speak last. So one of the things that I have to work really hard on is listening, slowing down, because I think anybody who starts or really spearheads a successful business you have that drive. You have all the answers. You're the smartest person in the room. You know, you still, you have to, you have to just chill out a little bit and let the cool people that you put in those seats, let them thrive because that's why people quit. People quit because they feel micromanaged. They quit because they don't feel heard. They quit because they don't like their boss because he's an arrogant, pushy asshole. So for, for me, I'm like, I don't want any of my people to quit. And right. when we have people quit, and we autopsy it, it's because their boss didn't relax and listen, make them feel heard. So that's a, that's a big one. Leadership in business is so valuable. Yeah. yeah. Well, on that note, we are going to wrap up. That was fantastic. I've got a lot to go back and revisit. And um, I'm sure everybody listening has a lot of takeaways. So Thank you again, Shannon, for being so candid with us and sharing a lot about your success and failure. And uh, we look forward to having you back on the gutter grind again soon. This was fun. I could talk about this stuff all day. <laughs> Good. You did a fantastic job. Thank you. Thank you.